This is HPR episode 2021 entitled HPR Community News for April 2016 and is part of the series HPR Community News. It is hosted by HPR volunteers and is about 92 minutes long. The summary is HPR Community News for April 2016. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Hello, everybody. This is Hacker Public Radio, community news for April 2016. My name is Dave Morris. And tonight I have with me John Culp. Hi, John. Hey, everybody. Hey, Dave. Um, Ken Fallon is away on holiday just now, which I'm sure he uh, he very, very much deserves. So he's not really able to, to join us tonight. So we're, we're just going to have to muddle through, John. We're just going to have to try our best. Well, uh, I think we can probably manage. You and I have both done this as sidekicks a number of times and yeah. have listened to enough of them where we know the format. So let's I think so. give I it think a go. So. I think we'll manage. I think we'll manage. So, um, yeah, so tonight we're going to talk about, um, start off with as the way we normally do things, which is to talk about the new hosts this month. And we've had two new hosts, and they are Joe and Brian. So some nice easy names to uh, to deal with this time. So thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, indeed. Always very very happy to see new HPR hosts coming on. Right. So let's get into the the shows this month, and we're starting with show two thousand, which is a a good nice <laughs> brand number. And uh, well, this, this was some show. This just happened to coincide with uh, the first of April. Strangely enough. And we had a very interesting <laughs> show from Ken. <laughs> it seemed to involve him uh, dying a fairly nasty death at the end of it, or apparently. That, uh, that was pretty funny. That, that was uh, quite a wind that was blowing that you could hear in the microphone there. Yes, yeah. I wish he'd, he'd do a show on how he, how, he, how he made that show. I don't think he... Don't think he mentioned it on the community news. No, he, no, because we wouldn't have talked about it last week, uh, last month. So uh, yeah, yeah, it, uh, it. He really was on the roof. He told me so. Uh, it wasn't just, uh, you know, he wasn't holding the microphone in front of a fan or something. Now, it sounded like he was out there right in the middle of everything. You know what cracks me up about this episode? It seems like with Ken, either you get an episode that's about two minutes long or one that's pushing two hours. He certainly. And, uh, that's... Yeah, he really went to town on this one, didn't he? It's an enormous show in terms of notes and everything. It's brilliant. Yeah, it was uh, pretty. I got to say that a lot of it went flying right over my head, and uh, I've never had a satellite dish or used one, so I didn't really understand a lot of this thing, or and I'm not able to put it to any practical use. But I found it interesting to hear somebody who really knows the subject just go. 
Yeah, yeah, it was it was quite fascinating. I found just how all this stuff works and uh, how uh, how how they managed to to point at particular areas and and point away from them as well. I think Ken mentioned. You know, there's there's a lot of politicking going on about who who feeds which community and all that sort of stuff from the satellites. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, but this was pretty amazing. I mean, uh, I, I don't know that I can comment at all on the uh, content of it, but his show notes are phenomenal with pictures and links and all kinds of stuff. And then yes. uh, we have comment. Do you want to say anything about the content yeah. before we get to the comments? No, I don't think so. I think you, you've summed it all up there. There's some brilliant work in there. It's really quite a fascinating content. And we had uh, the... Uh, the, the bit of theatre at the end. <laughs> and It was great. <laughs> which I thought was very well, nicely done. So, yeah, we had... Uh, do, do you want to start on the comments then, John? Sure. Uh, comment number one by Mike Ray. I tried very hard to resist this, but after about 72 hours, here goes. Oh, no. Ken's fallen off the roof. Fallen oh, off the roof. <laughs> Mike, Mike, what are you doing to us? Oh, that was really bad. Ken's fallen off the roof. Yes, mind crazy? you, I suppose Ken did ask for that sort of joke. <laughs> anyway, yes, and Droops uh, gave in a comment as well. He said, very good, I appreciate you recording this awesome show and for keeping this whole thing going for so long. Outstanding work, everyone. And that's relevant because Ken had originally promised to do that, do the show way, way back, as he said in the show itself. So that was under... Droops's watch of um, HPR or, or its predecessor. So, <laughs> very nice. I'm glad he's still around to notice that Ken has uh, finally, fo- you know, followed through on this. This is uh, comment number three by Frank. Absolutely fascinating. Wait, I think I just saw Ken flying overhead. <laughs> to which Ken responded, "Beep, beep, 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 beep." <laughs> <laughs> this is Ken in orbit. <laughs> That's a low flying Ken whizzing past. Yeah, great show, Very great nice. show. Thank you, Ken, for that excellent show. So the next show was 2001, which was the last Community News. So we'll uh, we'll just skip over we'll that. Probably oh. skip that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did get Ahuka joining us at, uh, on that show, which was nice. I haven't, we haven't heard from him for a while. But uh, yeah. the 2002 was Swift 110, who uh, was talking about a Raspberry Pi Zero that he'd acquired. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, even know exactly what a Raspberry Pi Zero is, but it sounds like I need to get one. Is this one, it's like a super, super cheap Raspberry Pi? Yes. Like it's even cheaper than the others? It's about £4 in the UK, so I think oh maybe 4 or $5 in the in the States, something like that. And it's, uh, it's very much cut down. One. Yeah, yeah. If you can find one, you should grab one, I think. So it's about half the size of a full-size Raspberry Pi. Maybe a little smaller than that, actually. I have one, but uh, I've not used it yet. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's equivalent to the original uh, Pi A series. So it's... Um, in terms of its specs, you mean? Yeah, in terms of it, the processor and uh, memory and uh, and other type of stuff. But it's it's got far fewer connectors on it. It doesn't, doesn't have full-size USB. It doesn't have uh, an Ethernet port and um no wireless or anything like hmm. that you know what maybe i won't get one i think i think i'd rather get the newer raspberry pi that's got the 
the beefier specs and stuff. Yeah, the Pi 3 yeah. is, is really cool. Yeah. If you're thinking of getting another Pi, getting a Pi, um, then that's, that's probably one to, to grab, I think. I think I might. I mean, what I would like to do eventually is to put the, um, the server that I use for my online class at school. I'd like to have that migrated over to a Raspberry Pi. Uh, right now it's running on an old HP tower that one of my faculty gave me when he cleaned out his closet. And um, it's, I mean, it's a very solid, reliable server, but I, I really think a Raspberry Pi would suffice for what yeah. I need. Yeah, and I think the new 3 is, is a great, great machine for that, that type of job. I've set, I bought one as well, and um, that's. I'm in the process of setting it up to do that very thing, run run as a server, runs a headless headless server. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't need it to do much. I would just get the Nginx web server running on it and basically let it go. Put some files on there, and and I basically need a a uh, a stable place to keep media files uh, that I reference in my online class. Cool. Well, as it happens. Um, there's a show in the queue for next month done by some guy who's talking about how he bought Raspberry Pi 3 and then put a, an SSD on it to attack the server. So, uh, Would that be you? Uh, I wouldn't listen to it personally. So it would be rubbish. But, uh, <laughs> well, I look forward to that one. So there was one comment on this posted by Ken Fallon. He says, I'm so jealous. I've been looking for one since they came out and they're all sold out. I checked the dimensions, and they seem like uh, they seem to fit into a smint tin. Is this I think a, that's, a brand name of yeah. Mint? I think so. It's like an Altoids or uh, one of those types of um, tins. Uh-huh. Yeah, he says no idea what I'd use it for, but that's not the point. Yeah, yeah. I, Spoke like I, a true hacker. There. I understand. <laughs> that's exactly why <laughs> I've got one as well. It's yeah. not. Uh, it's not come out of the wrapper yet, but uh, yeah, yeah. You you really need to be. Um, watching the sites that sell them quite closely to see when they have new stock in. Um, Seems like you could probably set up an alert on I know at places like Adafruit Industries, you can, I think you can set up an alert. You give them your email address and they'll ping you as soon as they get more in stock. Yeah, that's exactly what I did actually. I used one of the UK people called Pimeroni and they have a tell me, email me when you've, uh, when you've got stock in. That's how I managed to get one. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I might do that. Anyway, or I might um, not. I, I might get the Pi three. I, I, I think I'd rather get the Pi three. I would. 3. I would. Yeah, personally, the Pi three seems to be more useful unless you have a specific need for a very small machine that you can make into a robot or some other other device. You know. No, that's not what I want it for. I, I want it for a, a web server. I wouldn't go for a, a Pi zero for that personally. Anyway, yeah. just to, just to comment on uh, on the show, um, Swift one ten had found a. A Raspberry Pi, or, or more or less uh, by accident, when he was at Micro Center, and so he he picked up a, all of the various bits of it and was telling us about about them and unwrapping them in real time as he was as he was recording. Sounded like um, he promised a photo, but we never got a photo, which is a shame. But uh, maybe he can send that one in to us. You know, I've never had that experience of running into something like that at a brick and mortar store. No, me neither. Me neither. No, he's quite lucky, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I know that look, over here we have a series, like a, a chain of stores called Radio Shack that uh, they do have some things. Like they've got, um, oh, what are they called? Arduino components and stuff like that. But I don't think I've ever seen a Raspberry Pi or any, any type of Pi at one of those places. No, I think most of the, they, they did exist in the UK. They, they 
for some reason or no, they weren't called Radio Shack. They were called Tandy in the UK. It's the same. Oh, right. It's I the, think uh, that's Tandy the name Corporation of, was the yeah, owner. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think there's many of them around anymore now. So uh, other companies got, went out of business at one point, didn't it? Well, I think it did go bankrupt, although they're still in business here, but it seems like they've gone away from their uh, traditional business model of supplying uh, parts to uh, tinkerers to more of things like selling cell phones and stuff like oh, that. Okay, okay. Yeah, I used you to can buy... still go there and buy resistors and switches and parts, but I think that's not really their main deal anymore. Yeah, I've certainly bought those sorts of things from them in the past when they were in the UK, but uh, yeah, okay. Okay, moving on then. Show 2003 was Be Yeezy. It's a good name, that. Uh, Using the Incron file-watching demon. Now, I thought this was really cool. I'd never heard of this before, but uh, it sounds really, really good. I've actually installed it on my Debian system to try it out, but I haven't actually started using it yet. But it looks looks like it's got a lot of of possibilities. Did you you check this one out yourself, John? I... I installed it like you, and I thought for a little while of um, what I want. It seems like I had a use case for it, and when it didn't work immediately, I, I it's one of those things where I, I had to go to work the next day, and then by the end of the day, I, I completely forgot about it, and I, I haven't even thought about it until right now when we're doing this show, and I don't remember what I was going to use it for. Yeah, I, um, I've, I've got this mechanism I set up that... Um, uh, People can send in updates to the summaries and tags on uh, on the HBR shows. And uh, just as an aside, we we got we got somebody who sent sent some in this week, which is very nice. But I, I was thinking of maybe making making it do an alert based on the arrival of a of an email or something like that. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's the first thought. Anyway, it's definitely something I want to try out. I'm, I'm going to keep. Uh, like a bookmark on this page, I think, or just remember that he did this episode because I'm sure I'll, I will have a reason to use this. The basic idea is that it, it keeps an eye on certain files and if they either change or suddenly appear, then an action is taken, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's using the, the file system's capabilities to, to do this. I'm not quite clear what what level of, of thing it's using, some sort of kernel event or something like that maybe. But uh, yeah, look, it looks looks pretty powerful um, in terms of what it can do. So just a case of you attaching something clever to the end of it, I guess. Yeah, you know, this this sort of thing is, is something that I could have used. I In an episode of mine that's coming up next month, I talk about um, remapping the key, the spacebar key to make underscores and what I, what this is a, an idea that my son had that whenever a dialog box, like a save dialog box, is open on your uh, computer, to have the spacebar automatically remapped so that it makes underscores, so that way people couldn't put spaces in their file names. But what I, what I don't know how to do is to have some kind of daemon running that will kind of check all the time and see if a save dialog box is open. And this is different. I mean, this this has to do with the creation and uh, changing of files, but. It, it seems to me a similar, um, I don't know, a similar concept of always keeping an eye on for something, and then once it sees it, it does something. Well, it certainly sounds as if you could set it running on a directory. I think it's got a directory mode, hasn't it? And then you can, if anything gets written in there that is a name with spaces in it, 
presumably you could have something that's run that uh, that just does a, a a conversion into into underscores, something of that sort. Oh, you you could do that. I actually have a script that will take all the files in a directory and rename the ones that have spaces in their file names and to have underscores instead. But that that was a long time ago. I wrote this one. And uh, as you'll see in my episode next month, oh, we probably shouldn't get ahead of ourselves, but I have a voice command now that will remap the space bar so that it makes underscores. And then I speak another voice command that remaps it back the way it's supposed to go. Very cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. pretty fun. There's, there's, there's going to be many ways that one could approach this. The, uh, the Incron one might be worth checking out at least. Yeah. There is a comment here by Ken Fallon. It's almost like he's on the show here with us, even though he's not here. <laughs> I think he anticipated his absence and has been <laughs> rushing through putting comments on everything. <laughs> he says, installing this now. I want to monitor an FTP location, and once new XML files are there, it triggers a parser to extract data and put it into a database, which can then be queried over the web, basically turning a file-based interface into a web-enabled one. Great tip. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's very right, isn't he? Yeah, good show. Right, yep. next then um, was NY Bill, 2004, show number, who was talking about the O1B35T, first look at this device. What did you... This is the one... Sorry, this is the... Um, he's doing this whole series of inexpensive multimeter reviews, and this is the one that has Bluetooth. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah it... it uh, Sounded most interesting. I did go and check it out to see if I could see, um, you know, if it could be bought in the UK because sometimes these things can't easily be obtained. And yeah, I could get one from China um, on eBay. I found. I haven't even looked to see. I mean, I have a multimeter, and I barely know how to use the most basic things on the one I have, and so I don't think it would really benefit me much to try out these things that he's talking about. No, it's good to know what's out there, though. Um, uh, NY Bill did a, did some shows on other multimeters, and the one he mentioned particularly was the Uni T, Uni hyphen T. Right. And I that sounded really good, so I, I've actually got one of those. I, I again found oh, it cool. in Hong Kong or China or somewhere, and, and got it for quite a good price. So yeah, I'm really I'm still learning, mind you, I'm still learning how to use it. I'm not, I'm not very skilled at it, but uh, at least I've got a good multimeter. So yeah. Thanks, thanks for these and my bill. Absolutely. That sounds like the kind of thing that uh, when I'm in my retirement, maybe I'll go to the local community college and take a, a course on this, like using tools like this and understanding basic electronics. Absolutely. Yes, yes. There's, there's many a new thing one can learn that's uh, in retirement. I can speak for that. I don't definitely. have time right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. You have to wait till you, till you get to that, uh, that exalted age. There are several comments for this one. Of course, Ken Fallon starts us off. He says, great episode. Looks like it's not for sale anymore. Anyway, I was wondering why you would daisy chain two meters. To which NY Bill said, Americanisms? I'm not sure where we got the term. I think he was he was thinking that Ken was querying the term um, daisy chain. It might be an Americanism. I'm just guessing here. But hippies in the 60s would make necklaces out of daisies, tying the stems in loops. <laughs> I think the term made it into the lexicon as to chain together, link up one after the other. In electronic That's terms, funny. it just means in series. So until you asked, I'd never thought of it, he says. That sounds like about as good of explanation as I've ever heard of it. 
Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, do you want to read the next one? Dave, Dave Morris says, <laughs> not an Americanism to my knowledge. Daisy chain is used in the UK too. I've made them from the real daisies. Have you really, Dave? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was, oh. I was brought up in the country. So, yeah, we did that sort of thing. <laughs> you said, I've made them as a kid sometime before the hippie era. <laughs> You split the stem with a fingernail partway along such that it makes a loop and stick the head of the next daisy through it. I had a very, fairly rural upbringing. Looking on eBay, I can see one of these meters for $61, around 43 pounds, from Hong Kong. I bought a Unity on eBay from China after hearing your earlier shows, and I'm very happy with it. It was around 30 pounds. I'm curious, when you bought this Unity thing from China, did it take uh, more than a month for it to arrive to you? No, it was fairly quick, actually. I don't remember. It it took longer than um, buying something from the UK, but not a lot. A uh, couple of weeks, maybe, that sort of that sort of time. Well, I guess uh, the UK is a lot closer to China than America is. I bought Everything I bought from China has taken at least a month. And the last thing was, was one of those uh, Jinhao pins. Oh, yes. And that took well over a month. I think it depends on all sorts of factors. Maybe, you know, because they, they, they make up a, um, a container of stuff, don't they? And then send it over and get really, really heavy discounts on the shipping. Um, uh, and probably so, So yeah. maybe, maybe the electronic stuff comes over more often or something. I, I don't really know. I don't either. I've certainly anyway. had the same experience with long delays. But um, in this case, it was pretty quick. Yeah, well, normally the long delay is more than made up for by the bargain price. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so um, then, uh, go on. Shall I do the next comment? Why don't you do comment? the next comment? Yeah, having made you do my comment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ken Fallon says, why not what? Why would you daisy chain two meters together? What's the use case to do that? Remember, some of us are beginners, so you need to explain the obvious points. Exactly. That's what I would have uh, asked as well. So NY Bill responds, uh, by the way, for those of you who don't know, NY Bill is an electronics professional. This is what he does for a living. Uh, in my opinion, the Unity is a better meter for the price, Dave. You have a good one there. After sending my last post, I do recall hearing Daisy Chain in a Pink Floyd song. I know the term is out there on both sides of the pond, referring to a chain of flowers. Ken might have been asking why I would use that term when referring to two electronic devices. Uh, yeah, it looks like he might have done this post before he saw Ken's message. It's just another term meaning in series, one hooked together after another. Ken, you could have one meter reading current amps and a second meter reading the voltage, or one reading voltage and a second reading frequency. And so, oh, I see what he says. Uh, or if you're some nutter who happens to own like six meters, you could do it just because you can. Is that what he means by the <laughs> maniacal after that? I, uh, I would guess so. I would guess so, yes. <laughs> Very, Very nice. Yeah, uh, yeah, Bill. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was wondering as well why you would chain two two meters together, but he says that it's it's pretty obvious that you could do that. It's for, I, I just feel like I'm like I've I've won if I can manage to measure one thing. Oh, absolutely, yes, yes. I'm not going to be buying multiple uh, meters and chaining them together. I, I can't imagine ever wanting to do that. Uh, no, nor could I. We should probably move on to show 2005, How I Prepare and Record My HPR KDN Live Voiceover Shows by Geddes. This was uh, this was pretty amazing here. He, he goes through a, a very detailed explanation of the uh, equipment that he uses and also the, like the preparation, like as far as the text and everything, to do a really high quality um, recording of an existing uh, tech article. 
Yeah, he's, it was. I thought it was a really interesting insight. Uh, plus, also we got to understand a bit more about Geddes along the way, which is always nice to, you know, get a, a bit get the picture of somebody filled out a little bit more like that. But uh, now, mm-hmm. wow, does doesn't he doesn't he take a lot of trouble over these these shows that he's doing? Really, it's good. a lot more trouble than I take. I'll tell you that. Wow, yeah. Though even the equipment the equipment looks really impressive, doesn't it? It, yeah, it does. I'm looking at the pictures right now. The mixing board is very similar to the one I have, although I think he said that his has a USB um, interface and mine doesn't. I have a mic kind of like that Audio-Technica one, but not really. I've got several microphones. I do have a Shure SM58 like the one in the picture there, and I've used that for a number of episodes. It, it sounds really good, but yeah, lately that, I've been yeah. using my $2 microphone. Oh, right. Okay. I've got um Samson mic that a lot of people like to to use and uh i've been really happy with that actually so that oh, was man, i'm yawning big time sorry about that <laughs> is it late for you what's what's the time where you it, it's 1 30 p.m right and so uh i should not be yawning this way but whatever i'm, I'm kind of tired <laughs> oh tell me about it yeah yeah anyway there were some comments on this one we had a comment from ny bill who said well done Nice job, man. It makes me want to invest in a bit of equipment so I don't have to keep amplifying my audio in post. I don't see anything wrong with amplifying audio in post. Well, or neither compressing do I, really. audio. No, 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 no. It's 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 good to, to do things to it if it's not just perfect. It is nice to have a good, strong signal to start with, though. You get a better quality that True. way. True, yep. Uh, so then Ken says, Hi, Geddes. I'm simply blown away by the effort you're taking with these shows. Thanks you so much for putting in all this effort. I think he meant to say thank you so much for putting in all this effort. I would think so, yes. <laughs> He's not yeah. going to thank me for reading his typos that way. <laughs> it's it's not a That's very... That's what you get when you don't show up, Ken. <laughs> it's not a very forgiving interface, that comment thing, is it? It's uh, <laughs> I don't find it very pleasant to use, personally, but... Yeah, I usually have to prepare the text in my text editor first and then paste it in there. To yeah, make sure I can that's, that's see it a properly. good idea. Yes, indeed. Okay, so, right, so moving on then. Um, shall I I'll lead off with sure. this one? Uh, 2006 was a show from Nacho Jordi, who says his name most delightful way that I shouldn't even try to, to copy. Um, basic audio production compression. He's talking about that. So, um, yeah, really really interesting yeah compression is one of the tools i use uh, in pretty much every time i do an hpr episode and i don't completely understand it but i did myself do an episode about compression once because i interviewed one of the adjunct faculty that we have in the school of music um who is a a technical person and and she explained it uh, much the same way that he did Um, i remember that it was um melissa Melissa dupree Dupriest. yeah yeah dupriest yeah, yeah, I remember. Yep. She's a, a professional audio engineer in the area here, works in radio and television and live sound reinforcement and stuff like that. And she was teaching a couple of classes for us at the time, but uh, very good with this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's good to understand this. It's uh, um, Natural Geordi is going to do a series on audio things like this, he mentioned. He, he, he did mention a list of things he was going to do but i've forgotten what they are now but uh yeah he's definitely going to turn this into a series he says so looking Love forward to, to hear more okay so ken uh says <laughs> hi nacho jordi great explanation i hope this is the beginning of a series leave it to ken to say that. <laughs> never miss a chance ken <laughs> and that's all the comments yep so the next show do you want to 
Do you want to lead off with that one? Some guy in Scotland, uh, Mr. Dave Morris with HPR 2007 says, my new laptop. And uh, so, man, you you won a laptop. I did indeed. Yes, yes. It uh, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it's very, very happy, but also deeply embarrassed because uh, I'm not, no <laughs> <laughs> I just, just have that sort of mindset, I'm afraid. Oh, man, you got to got to just be uh, strutting that right there. I've never won much of anything, although one time I did win a set of uh, tools at the um, the credit union where I keep my money. They had some kind of uh, thing where you put your name in a box, and then uh, about a month later, they drew the names, and I got a phone call said I'd won. So I got this really nice set of tools. And actually, another time, I won a folding bicycle. Ooh, that sounds good. Uh, it, was, it was not a really nice one. It was about a 100 and $50 bicycle, maybe, but still, it was a, a folding bicycle, and I rode that for quite a while, and then I started busting spokes on the rear wheel every month or so, and I got tired of it, so I, it's hanging up in my shed right now. <laughs> yes. Oh, well. So tell but us still, about this laptop. Well, it's it's um, this company, Entraware, are making um, laptops which are specifically designed to, to run Linux, and they're installing Ubuntu on it, um, so... Uh, it's uh, it's it's really you know you you know that you're going to get something that's that's a a genuine Linux based machine um, and it's it's a great little laptop it's it's um there's, there's there was a extended notes where I went into more detail about it it's a uh, it's an i3 based machine with fairly generous amount of RAM and so on and so forth mm-hmm. and an SSD it comes with an SSD um, so it's uh, it's really quick. Um, it's uh, it's just just great. It's a lovely machine. Are they? Uh, do they sell in the United States? Do you know? I don't know. Um, I, th- there's always seems to be problems with these sorts of things. I mean, I've certainly looked at uh, System Seventy Six at one point, thinking oh, it would be nice to buy from them, but the uh, the the cost of actually shipping it um, and all the customs dues and so forth completely make it impossible to uh, to do that you know yeah yeah i i'm actually considering getting a new laptop uh if it turns out that i get the promotion that i've applied for i might celebrate by getting a system 76 machine or something i, I don't know I, I i like the idea of getting the the linux preloaded laptop because i know for sure all the hardware is going to work and I won't have to do any kind of uh, circus tricks to get the wireless going or anything like that. Yeah, that's often the the sticking point, isn't it? No, it's it's a great machine. Yeah. I certainly, as I said in the in the notes, certainly recommend it if uh, if, if anybody's in the market to to, to buy one. So Ken uh, responds to this episode with the uh, comment heading "suspect." Strange that the person holding first ticket went mysteriously missing. Very curious indeed. <laughs> To which I replied, I don't know what you're talking about. You can't prove anything. I left no trace. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Alpha32 says, another great show, Mr. Morris. How is the IntraWare's hardware compatibility with other distros? A very good comment. Good yeah, yeah. Good good question. I, I'm afraid I haven't uh, followed that one up yet. Um, but uh, yeah, in brief, I have no idea because I haven't tried other distros on it yet. It's... Uh, it's one of the things I, I have planned to do, but uh, I haven't haven't actually tried. I mean, I can just um, just just run something off a off a CD or something. I'm sure off a USB, a live version of something to see see how it gets on. But uh, yeah, I will. I will. Does it respond. have an optical drive? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah, which is 
That's nice. I'm surprised. Didn't think modern laptops came with such things. My son got a laptop recently. Is this the right button to push? I've forgotten which button I'm pushing. Yeah, you're good. Am I talking? <laughs> oh, man. I, I, somehow I forgot whether I had the menu or the alt, uh, the right alt button uh, for speaking. But yeah, my son's laptop is very large physically, but it doesn't have an optical drive in it. And it, I guess it's to make it thinner, like in profile. And so uh, like right now, I think my laptop that's about five years old is the only one in the house that's got an optical drive. Yeah, this this tendency towards ultra thin laptops has driven out the, um, the 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 optical drive. My daughter has a has a Dell Inspiron, I think, fairly recent, um, and she got a, a, an optical drive with it. But it's a, it's a it's a chunky chunkier machine, I think. So yeah, proves the point. Well, I I spent fifteen dollars and got a, a USB optical drive that I can plug into anything. So I guess that solves that. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people do that. But uh, it's quite nice to have one built in if you, if you can. That's, I agree. But I wouldn't, uh, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't uh, destroy my, my life if I'd got one without. But Right, anyway, shall we move on? Yeah. So Ken uh, puts out the uh, periodic plea for shows in HPR 2008. It says, do not listen to this show. Record one instead. <laughs> well done. Yes. <laughs> and then there are numerous comments here. Uh, well, and uh, somebody, right. Oh, wait, I've got one of my own comments coming up here. Should I read that or should you read it? Uh, I'm completely up to you. <laughs> Why don't you read the first one? I'll, I'll get the first one. Um, it's from 0xf10e. I always feel that I should be able to say that in a more fluent way, but I never can. Is it Oxflow? <laughs> I don't think so. He's never come back and said he or she has never come back to say it, to tell us how to pronounce it because we've stumbled over this one before. Anyway, um, this person says, but Ken, I can listen to HBR and prepare my lunch at the same time, but I can't record a show and cook at the same time. To which I reply, sure you can. Why not? I've recorded shows while walking to work, while riding my bike to work, while fixing the car, while driving the car. Surely you can record a show while you cook. All you have to do is clip the $2 microphone to your lapel, plug it into your phone, put the phone in your back pocket, hit record, and start talking while you cook. Easy. <laughs> well, that's actually true. I did one where I recorded making coffee, and I did that with um Sansa Clip, which is, you know, you can clip on your lapel and uh so yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah, you can do it you can do it in fact it would be a lot of fun to have more of those sorts of shows i enjoy hearing you know the sort of ambient noises of stuff as people do that seriously everybody who records on hbr you you owe it to yourself to buy like the the three pack of two dollar microphones and just like always have one and uh, the the clip to your lapel you can record it's got a little tiny windscreen so like in the episode that where i'm riding my bicycle I mean, I'm riding probably 15 to 18 miles an hour and the wind is blowing, but it still sounds fine. And uh, hopefully no one will ever hear that episode, because if they do, that means that the queue has gotten so dangerously low that we've had to dip into the emergency shows. But, yes. um, yeah. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I actually bought some of those on your recommendation. You can get them in the UK. can't remember what Amazon, I think I probably bought it from. Yeah, and uh, Dave from uh, the Bugcast also bought some, and he said they were... Uh, he used them at his church, I think, for replacing some lapel mics that had broken that it cost $40 a piece or something. And he said these sound just as good, if not better. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, I remember him saying that on his show. Yeah. So there you go. 
fact, my daughter was so impressed that she's taken one away. <laughs> she was. Nice. She, <laughs> that's what happens when you have kids, isn't it? But uh, yeah. So the last comment on this one was Ken Fallon saying thanks, thanks to everyone that submitted shows. We still have hundreds of free slots to f- to fill. Keep the shows Indeed. coming and keep sending out the message that we need contributors. So this this show actually did uh, generate quite a lot of. Uh, responses um, and a goodly number of people stepped forward and uh, and and recorded shows and we have a few and a couple of new people too. Indeed, we have several new people in the uh, in the queue for for next month. So we'll we'll be talking about them when next month comes along. But uh, yeah, we got a great response. But uh, as Ken points out, it's it's wonderful to get that response when you put out such a plea. But it's a it's a constant flow that we need because you know. There's a there's a new day every day and a new week every week, you know, and uh, it takes a it takes a lot of shows to to fill to fill all of the uh, the slots. Two hundred and sixty odd per year is what we need. So yeah, the the way I've uh, I mean I contributed probably thirty shows last year or something, and it's just a matter of getting into the habit of doing a show whenever you're doing something interesting or if you've just learned something, just share it, uh, it you know, write some notes, record it, and uh, Hooks it up there. Doesn't have yeah. to be any kind of perfection or anything. No, 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 no. There's there's lots of things you can you can do as you say as you as you're just going along about your your general daily life. It's a, it's a good technique to uh, to adopt if you can. So yeah, yeah. Just yep. and you start thinking of things. Oh, that thing I'm about to do, or I just did. I could talk about that on a on an HPR. And you know, it once you start thinking that way, it's remarkable how many shows come to come to mind. Yeah, I, I just prompted Jezzer yesterday to record one uh, when he posted a picture on his timeline of a sheep feeder that he just built to feed the sheep that he's got wandering around his property. <laughs> and so I said, okay, if you built this, you've got to do a show about it. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. I saw that uh, message as well and was thinking pretty much the same thing, but I hadn't got around to <laughs> exactly. saying anything yet. <laughs> so, Well, good. if he's going to do one about his chicken coop, then he's got to do one about the sheep feeder too. Absolutely, absolutely. That's yeah. a series right there, like Barnyard Animal Series or something. Oh, absolutely, yes. Whatever you call it, small holding or something of that sort. <laughs> cool, very cool. Okay, so, so HPR 2009, understanding the GNU screen hard status line. C-Prompt talks about how he configured his GNU screen to suit his needs. Okay, so uh, Dave, if you followed and understood this one, I might need you to make comments. I uh, the screen is one of those things that I'll learn it for about a day and then I don't use it for a while and I forget completely how to use it. It it is it is instantly forgettable. I find I do use screen all the time actually, but I've just got a few um, commands sort of fixed in my head and and all the other ones I forget. Um, but yeah, it's uh, he was basically talking about how to configure it using a dot screen rc um, config file and. Uh, you could do this in order to uh, configure up the the way it, it functioned, the way it looked, and uh, it's. I, I did actually follow through this one. I was as I was listening, I was actually installing Screen on my new Raspberry Pi three, thinking, yeah, that would be uh-huh. cool to have it on there because you know it's a headless machine, and I want to be able to just uh, connect to it and do stuff. And I thought, well, why don't I just leave the screen session running all the time, and uh, and then you know just just uh, connect to it and you know 
as as necessary. So I did. I have started down the route of using it for real um, to administer a machine and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's um, it, I, it was good. I thought it was a great show, and it really sort of um, directed me anyway towards thinking more about what I'd not really considered very much before. So, the perfect HBR show really to wake up, <laughs> wake people like me up. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, it seems like I tried Screen once upon a time, and then I tried TMUX after NY Bill did that show about TMUX, and I, I seem to um, understand and use TMUX a little bit easier, but even that I've, I've forgotten now, because uh, I was using it for um, oh, IRC, and, um, and it worked great, but then I would just forget to check into IRC, and now it's just completely slipped off the radar. I think it's just not meant to be. Right. Okay. Yeah, I I actually use it on my one of my other servers, which is constantly running WeChat in a screen screen session. So yeah, I, I connect to and from that when I want to go on to um, IRC, but I don't very often go on there. So uh, it's sat there. There's a yeah, presence. There's a presence there that makes it look like I'm using IRC a lot, and I'm not. <laughs> And then people will ping you every now and then and wonder why you never uh, write back. <laughs> yes. I sometimes go and look and say, oh, no, I got a message from NY Bill or something. Right. So, uh, of course, Ken Fallon comments to this one. Uh, great show. Can you send in a screenshot of the finished product, please? Also, a general introduction slash series on screen and TMUX, etc. would be great. Thanks for this. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's an interesting subject, and there's quite a lot you can do to to configure stuff. So certainly second that one. Yep. Um, so what's next? Uh, episode twenty ten parsing JSON with Python by Klaatu. This was a really interesting episode. I'm always interested in learning what you can parse with Python because I like to. I, I kind of suck at Python, but what little I've done with it, I've used some HTML parsing and find it just uh, like magical what you can do when it works but uh, i'm so bad at it that it takes me a long time to get stuff working yeah i'm not a great python user i've, I've written one or two little bits of python um uh, but uh, really it's just using python as a way of getting at the libraries that do the thing i want to do but um but you know this is this is good and he's making the point that uh, json is a a good um format for for Combining all sorts of data, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's very similar to the way that a Python dictionary looks. So mm-hmm. you know the, the the process of transferring from one to the other is a is a relatively simple one. I think was the was the point. And absolutely, it's the the only thing I have against JSON, which is a very small thing, is that if you're giving if you're asking somebody to put in say configuration data into a program and you show them how to do it in json sometimes they they struggle a little bit um when i've done this and when i was working i did this for some of my staff built some software for them and said right when you want to configure it configure it this way but i used yaml to do it which is a more uh it's a less sort of computery type of uh, type of interface you know Mm-hmm. I've only seen YAML a little bit, and that was because uh, Jezra uses it in the Blather configuration file. Or he, you have an option to use a, a YAML 
config thing for Blather to avoid having to put all kinds of command line options when you run the command. Okay. And uh, that, that was the first time I'd ever even heard of YAML, but it, it does seem very intuitive. Yeah, I, I just found that it was, although it also has, has its downside. You have to be very, very precise about how you line things up and how much white space you put in it and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's also it's also dangerous, but it, it sort of seems to make more sense to people who haven't got a haven't really dealt with computer languages more so than JSON. Just just in my limited experience comparing the two. Cool. So Squirrel, uh, no wait, Zen Floater Two says Squirrel. Glad to hear you didn't just pass away or go back to urban camping. Frankly, I'm surprised Plasma Five is still not ready for Slackware or anybody. But that's really no reason to go hide in a cave, young man. I don't know what he's talking about there. Where, <laughs> where is he going with that? I think he's a friend of of uh, Klaatu, who's and he hasn't <laughs> seen him for a while. Because Klaatu's gone off to New Zealand, hasn't he? So he's uh, uh, he he's has. Probably, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's he's disappeared off the of the, the the American side of the planet, at least. So uh, as far as I, I can tell, nothing in this has anything to do with the episode. But maybe I, I just don't remember. Well, yeah, you're right. I think Ken's comment, "You don't like XPath," is put on the wrong show because the, the, the this is not not a, this is not about XML at all. And uh, I think he meant this to go on the the next show, which is uh, which is the one talking about. Uh, not, uh, the next of Klaatu shows, I should say, just talking uh-huh. about parsing XML. So, but um, he says, "What you don't like XPath? Why, if only someone recorded a show about that." Slash me digs his own hole on Uh-oh. this one. That's that's <laughs> Ken talking about. Uh, he he wants to explain um, XML and how it works and uh, and how to work with it and all that sort of stuff, which is a big subject, and he's. He's, uh, I think, a bit daunted by the size of it, as would I be. You know, what I think is that Ken has written a script that will automatically post a comment saying that you need to write a show about some random word that was in someone else's comment. (laughs) Don't give him ideas, for goodness sake. (laughs) Yeah, you could be right. All right. So, uh, episode 2011... Dave Morris, introduction to said part four. Is this the last in the series, Dave? Uh, no, there's one more to come. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, you wait till you hear this one. I'm I'm holding off on this on the last one a bit to, to let uh, episode four sink in a bit. Because <laughs> plus also there's a lot of work involved in preparing these. You know, I I've not listened to these all that closely because in part because it seems like I'm never at a keyboard where I can actually try any of these things and. Because I trust you implicitly to make the best show notes anyone has ever done that will essentially be a textbook that I can go back and refer to when I actually need to learn it. Well, that was really the intention. Yes, yes. Although I stopped <laughs> using uh, EPUB, which I maybe should go go back to. But uh, does, EPUB doesn't fit with these sorts of notes very well, does it? I'm not quite sure how to solve well, that one, to be honest. You do have to be careful with the examples because they they don't necessarily flow uh, correctly. Yeah, they they tend to, you know, if you if you've got a sort of eighty character line or something, then it can uh, it can fall off the end of your margins and other strange things, can't it? Yeah. Oh, sorry, yawning again. Anyway, yeah. So you have uh, you have links to introduction to SEDS part one, two, and three, and your bash tips episode and. 
What else? We've got comments by Be Easy. It says, wow, for a data analyst like myself, the application of the items covered in this episode are amazing. May start to use SED to analyze and manipulate gene sequences. And I said in response to that, thanks, glad you found it useful. I started using SED and later ORC at the university I worked at in the 80s, 90s to process student record snapshots floating into our homebrew identity management system. They were great for data validation. Cases like, why is this guy's date of birth apparently last week? Which was a very, very common <laughs> thing. What is your date of birth? And I'm not sure whether it was a default somewhere or whether they completely confused date of birth with what was what's today's date or something. But uh, well, it I always, a lot. I always think that it looks like the freshmen are younger and younger. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> anyway, I didn't really answer his point. But uh, to be quite honest, I'm not sure I would use said to do anything that complex but uh he's the he's obviously the the genetics guy so he he obviously knows better than than i do but uh said said's amazingly powerful but but i'm i wouldn't i wouldn't run to it for that type of thing personally yeah i i use said uh all the time in my bladder commands for very simple substitutions and transformations of various things and I'll, I'll as i go through my bladder series i'll i'll talk more about that but I, I use it all the time it's a very handy tool to know at least the very basic uh syntax for substitutions yes indeed indeed it's it's great thing to have in the toolkit but it's a swiss army knife with about 100 blades in it and you only actually want right. one or two <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but in combination with awk it's also um, really powerful are you going to do awk or is someone else doing an awk well, series i thought i, I heard um, some noise about that i was the, there was a conversation last month about doing something on Orc, and and I I'd, I'd have I, I wouldn't mind having a go at it, although it's actually a bigger subject than said, and there's a lot more material about Orc than there is about said, you know. So to some extent, I wouldn't want to go too deep into it because there's better better resources out there. But yeah, yeah, doing something on Orc would be a nice thing. So unless somebody beats well, me to it, I'll do it. I'll probably hit on Awk a little bit in my Blather series as well, because I, I do use it uh, occasionally. Uh, so anyway, of course, uh, Ken leaves a comment here. Uh, Hi, Dave. Another great episode. I completely missed the uh, dot dollar sign dollar sign thing before, although I have seen it before. Ken, although I think he something must have uh, happened because he did not say anything about your recording another series about something random. I, I think yeah. his, his script is broken, yeah. yeah. It must be. It's a shame. He's. Um, I mentioned the dollar-dollar thing in this particular show. You haven't listened to it yourself. Um, just as an example of doing stuff with said, I just threw that in there because it looked like an interesting example, and that's the returns the process ID of your bash process. So you can use that as a way of making sort of random file names. Crazy. I, I, that totally slipped by me when I was listening. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to cover it in the Bash series at some point. Awesome. So we're we're uh, we're already at 53 minutes here on my recording, so we should probably accelerate a little bit. Yep. Okay. Two uh, two episodes in a row by Klaatu about parsing XML in Python using a couple of different libraries. One is Untangle, and the other is XML to Dict. Yeah. Really nice. Re- really good shows. I enjoyed these a lot, and. Um... Thanks to Klaatu for stepping into the breach, by the way, with these shows, because he was, he was very fast to, to get something to us. Um, Untangle. Oh, yeah, three shows, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And 
Untangle looks a little strange to my eyes, but it's a, you know, it's a way of getting getting into a uh, an XML structure. Um, but I, personally, I preferred the look of XML to Dict, just because it seemed to make more sense. But but it, I don't quite see what's wrong with XPath personally. I have sort of understood to some extent how XPath works and have used it on odd occasions. Don't find it too daunting, but uh, basically they're all things trying to do the same thing, taking a quite complex structure and um, walk through it to get a particular element out, uh, or put an element in for that matter. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, th- there's there's many ways of doing it. It's really down to, to taste, I imagine. Yeah. Well, the only time I've ever even seen XPath was in trying to construct various. Um, conversion, uh, what do you want to call it, uh, regular expression uh, commands inside of Calibre, the ebook library management thing. They, they, they use XPath for doing things like, uh, uh, I don't know, like looking for certain kinds of tags and then applying either a different tag or a class to them or something like that. Yeah, so it's a way of expressing a path through uh, an HTML structure or something like that, is it? Mm-hmm. So Ken says in response to the first of these, he says, Hi, Klaatu, can you do an introduction series on Python and then talk about the normal XML methods as well, please? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, the script's working really well. Yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. Was there a comment to 2013? Yes, there, there, were, there were two, three, two. Um, I see it, yeah. There was from Sigflop said... Cool, cool beans. Thanks for thank you for making this. So uh, yeah, interesting. And then and, uh, Ken's on. script, yeah, Ken's script is <laughs> no wait, it, it malfunctioned here. He said, "Hi, Klaatu, have you compared parsing times and performance when loading large and complex XML documents?" Ken. Yeah, good question. Ken, Ken works Some, in something XML. Something must have. Uh, does he work in XML a lot? <laughs> yeah, yeah. His his job entails a lot of XML work. Because we we often have uh, chats. He's often because he writes in writes stuff in Perl as well. So I, I often uh, I have been asked to to assist with certain things that he he does. So so I imagine he's um that's why that's why it 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 rings bells in his mind. I'm sure. Oh yeah. So then uh, NY Bill in episode 2014 looks at that same multimeter, and this is part two where if I remember right, this is where he took a break to get the Bluetooth function working, and then he reported back with part two of the series, right? That, that's right. That's my recollection as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, it was uh, it was interesting. Um, Bluetooth on a, a multimeter seems, seems like a strange and wonderful thing, but the way Bill was describing it made it sound really, really useful. Especially, it seems like the, what would be really great about that is being able to log stuff. Yeah, I think that was his point that uh, logging things was, was was good, and all you actually needed to have was this meter and a phone, and you could you could do a lot of stuff out out uh, in the wild when you needed to. Mm-hmm. So, so comments, uh, Mike. Yeah, Mike Ray says, "Great show, great second part of this. I love all the plasticky sounds and clicks of taking the thing apart and looking inside, putting it back together, etc." I can really imagine the workbench strewn with test probes and other electronic hackery detritus. Smiley face. 
<laughs> NY Bill says, it's a brand new bench. About four months ago, my wife decided <laughs> she no longer wanted a four by six foot uh, glass top desk that was in our spare room. So I grabbed it. The glass top would be good for hot work, soldering, hot air, etc. So I set up all my gear on it and made a nice, clean, dedicated space in the computer room for electronics work. And then I used it. Has been clean <laughs> since. <laughs> We've all been there. We've all been there. Yes, I confess the bench stroke desk is now how you describe it. Strewn with test gear, parts and tools, always with multiple projects going on at once. But that's how it should be. Yeah, I totally agree. It sounds like a, a perfect desk right there. Yeah, he's very lucky to have that sort of facility. Yep. So, uh, episode 2015 by new host Joe, Linux in the Church. Yeah, you, you, I'm I'm slower than you Did there, I? John. I can't I can't catch up with you. <laughs> no, he, uh, John talks about uh, how he uses um, Linux for various uh, functions in the church that he goes to, uh, including audio engineering and uh, presentation software. I think he said he might have had to still use proprietary software for certain functions of uh, presentation. Yes, yes, that was my understanding too. No, no, it was it was good. It's good to hear it um, being being used in that uh, in Linux is actually being used in that sort of way, and he was sort of convincing his uh, his friends and colleagues there that to to uh, to consider it as a as a possible. So good for him. Yeah, I think my dad might do a little bit of that kind of. I know that uh, he very frequently gets called upon to uh, repair computers for people at his church, and for some of them. When they've had old equipment and did not have licenses for Windows, he has suggested and even installed various flavors of Linux for them on them. And I think it's gone okay, but I, I don't know that they're actually using it um, for any of the, the functions in their church there. No, no. It was, it was more him sort of starting on the, the road to, uh, to make, it, make it more available and, and find, find openings for it, I guess, wasn't it? Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so we had two comments on this one, and it was um, first one was by Jan. Said this should be positive to quite a few people. Thanks for sharing. Okay, uh, can anyone guess who the second commenter was? Anyone? <laughs> Ken Fallon says, <laughs> "Hi Joe, great episode. The content will hit the mark, regardless of anyone's beliefs." I'm not familiar with your church, so please feel free to record an episode on your church's history, what it, will, what it stands for. I have no doubt that that would be of interest to hackers, naturally. There may be people who do and do not share your views, but I'm sure it would all, um, it would all get a better understanding. Naturally, this invitation is open to all. Reverend Ken Pastor of the Church of Send In More Shows. <laughs> <laughs> so the script has a name now. <laughs> I see. We yeah. see Ken working here. <laughs> in mysterious ways oh my goodness and so the next episode 2016 is by the guy who might have joined us today but was not able to yes. echo print Lander. I share what I've learned about the echo print music identification says ah yeah this is one that grew out of a mailing list discussion about a month or two ago that's right yes Ken was looking for a way to identify the intro and outro on, on uh, shows that had been submitted and this was suggested, I think, by Lander, where it was mentioned. But uh, mm -hmm. I had a quick look at it. Couldn't make a lot of sense out of it. He's dug in far deeper and has uh, made made a certain degree of sense of how it does things. Well, I say it that way because 
I didn't completely get what you're saying. I need to listen to it again because it's really quite uh, complex, the, the way it works. And yeah. uh, there's a lot of pointers here he's put in the notes to, to how you can find out more about it, I think. So I really need to look at these in a bit more detail. But uh, it sounded like he's gone a long way to um, finding out how one could use this with that, in order to identify particular bits of clips of music or whatever. Yeah, uh, this is something that I didn't really understand. I mean, I'm a I'm a music professional, but not this kind of uh, music. I I really need to run this whole idea by my um, music media specialist on on my faculty, I, I, and I actually intended to do that a long time ago, but I just forget. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's quite a complicated business, isn't it? It's it's um, quite mathematical, and uh, and you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of uh, deep knowledge of sound and and how to process it that seems to be needed here so yeah it's out of my depth yeah i guess me too yeah so ken fallon (laughs) has a comment he says thank you thank you thank you thank you that's four thank yous i would have gotten lost at the first hurdle although you may not be able to determine if the music was the hpr theme or not could you determine if there was music in a section at all that's a good question right there because it seems like that would have a very different profile than speech right so he he can he continues, say, if we cut the first three minutes from the front and end of an episode, could it check if there was music in there? Thanks, Ken. Yeah, good question. Good question. I couldn't follow whether the fingerprint that this thing produced was could be ident- could, could actually identify whether you had music versus speech because it's doing like little snapshots of, of pieces of, of sound, as I understood it. Um, and then producing sort of hashes from what it found. So, you know, quite quite a complicated process, and I, but I'm not clear how how you would compare one particular thing with another. But anyway, I'm just, just talking about I, how, I how little either. I know. I'm just, just proving the point that I don't know what I'm talking about, so I should shut up. I, I think we just need to trust people either to do this or not and then to say which one they did. Yes. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Okay, episode 2017 by Cheeto4493. Here are my thoughts on a 3D printer kit. Oh, sweet. I've often wanted to have a 3D printer. And uh, this guy got a kit, built it, and started printing stuff, and then recorded an episode. Man, that is like the model of what an HPR listener ought to do right there. Yeah, great episode. I enjoyed this one very much. It's a rep rap, I think he said. Uh, that, That name triggered my my memory and uh then he got this from china from aliexpress so yeah it sounds sounds in it like an interesting device and he certainly sounds as if he managed to get it together without a without a huge lot of of trouble so that he was said quite what good. six hours or something yeah it's that's, not gonna be not simple. too bad no 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 i think you probably have to be quite adept at the, the sort of mechanical stuff good with your hands i think is what he said but uh, you know uh-huh. i'm sure many of us could could uh, have a go at such a thing that, that's something i might consider that this summer with my son because he's always i mean in the summertime he's uh, he's about to turn 15 and in the summertime if he gets bored he gets kind of grumpy but this is just the kind of thing that he would enjoy doing so we might be getting a kit and trying it out if we can just think of a place to put the thing they're, they're kind of large that's my problem. Yeah, I have no space in this house. It's quite a small house. So, yeah, I thought the same sort of thoughts. This is a part of a series, though. We're going to get more. So I'm um, looking forward to that. 
Wonderful. Are there con there are no comments on this episode? Well, no. we just commented on it. That's what we're here for. So, 2018 is how to make kombucha tea. Um, there's a bit of variability in the spelling of this. I think it's spelt K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A, but uh, I'm not, not a great, great uh, proponent of this. And it's I've a, never even heard of it before. No, I'd never heard of it before either. It's a fermented tea, and because uh, I've been reading reading the, the internet, um, and it's it's one of I don't know when I was a kid, right? My mum got. Uh, given what was called a ginger beer plant, which w consisted of what I think this is, which is a, um, a colony of bacteria and yeast in a sort of jelly-like matrix that you put into water flavoured with ginger and with sugar, and then it sat there and uh, and ate the sugar and did all of, all of its stuff. And the end result was a sort of gin, homemade ginger beer, which was really lovely. As a child, I remember drinking it. It was gorgeous. And then somebody pointed out, you do realise it's got alcohol in it, and then that was the end of that. No, you children are not getting that anymore. <laughs> this is the same type of thing. It's, These it's, are the kinds of things where I wonder, like, what in the world was the first person who did this thinking to make something consumable out of things that are like living and crawling around and stuff? Yes. No, I know. I know. Why, why when the tea has gone off, would you, would you taste it to see what it tasted like? But, uh, yeah. But it's the same as a, as a one-time biologist. This fascinates me because it's, it's a symbiotic relationship between bacteria and yeast. And as an uh -huh. aside, and I'm going to bore everybody to death here, SCOBY that he kept talking about is an acronym for Symbiotic Colony of Bacteria and Yeast. I don't think he mentioned that. I wondered what SCOBY no, meant I until I looked it up. Either. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a colony of these things. So so it's interesting, and it's the same sort of thing that's going on if you make sourdough bread. You you want mm -hmm. your sourdough starter to contain natural yeast and bacteria. Once it reaches the state of stability, then that's the point at which you make bread with it and you get really nice bread. But it's acidic because both of these things generate, I think the bacteria generate acetic acid. So you get a, a, a that's why it's called sourdough. And this thing, this particular one generates acetic acid as well as alcohol. Yeah, well... This does not appeal to me in any way as a, a drink. I, I'm not a big tea person anyway, but I'll, I'll give them this, man. These are great show notes. Uh, they're very detailed, uh, lengthy, plenty of explanation, step-by-step. Uh, step. So uh, if, you, if this sounds interesting to you, uh, check out the show notes, and I bet you you can make yourself some uh, kombucha tea. Yeah, it's, it's really, really well put together show. Absolutely. Same with same as you. I'm not sure I'm going to run out to, to make any particular, but uh, <laughs> biologically, I'm fascinated. All right. We're nearly through the episodes. Episode 2019, uh, right up our alley here, a pie project and an own cloud project by uh, Geek Dad Matt McGraw. That's the one. Yep. Great show. I'd, yeah, I love this one. Yeah, this is this is absolutely this is meat and drink for for HBR. Although he could have made two shows. No, sorry, no. I'm channeling yeah, I was Ken. Thinking, <laughs> as I was listening to this, I knew what Ken's comment would be. He said, "You know, you could have made two shows. Don't do two <laughs> topics in the same show." <laughs> he seems to have held off on that one though. But yeah. it's it's a but I, brilliant. I show, like yeah. the music thing. Uh, 
I've actually experienced some of these music things. My in-laws up in New York have the Sonos system in their house, and uh, it's pretty impressive. You know, the, you download an app on your phone, and then you like even I, as a guest, uh, downloaded the Sonos app, and I could uh, get into their system and play music in different rooms in the house, and uh, it, it's really cool. And I've actually got a well, I, I had a comment about this below, but I, I made my own audio server out of a Raspberry Pi as well, but used Jezra's audio server called Mutton Chop instead of Rune Audio. He's he tried a few of them. He, and I, I had never heard of these. The Pi Music Box, Rune Audio, and then an Arch-based thing. It sounds like these are special distros just for the Pi to uh, make a media server. Yeah, it's quite interesting that there's a, there's a lot to follow up here. I haven't done that yet, but there's there's a, some really good pointers to to some cool stuff here. I think I might try a couple of those music things this summer. The great thing about doing this on a Raspberry Pi is you can just pop out your SD card and then use a different one to put one of these distros on there, and then uh, you go back to the way it was before by just putting your old SD card. These things are so cheap that it's very easy to just experiment with all kinds of different things this way. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I quite fancy this as well. I was thinking of, um, I've actually got a, an add-on for one of my Pies, which does produce a, an audio DAC, it is. But seeing your comment a bit later, I maybe made the wrong choice. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. So then the, the he also talks about the, fo so one project was um, the music Thing. And then the other one was the photo frame project. Yeah, that was nice. It, it, photo frame with own cloud. He's picking up pictures off own cloud with his with a a tablet that an old tablet that he that he's uh, passed on to his to his parents, so they can see family photos on a on a photo frame. What what a great idea! Brilliant. Yeah, I had heard of those kinds of photo frames before. You know, the commercially sold ones, and they they do cost a bit of money and. I don't really know what kind of um, personal, you know, privacy compromise you might have to make to get access where you could push the photos up to it so that your um, relatives could see them on the other end. But I like the idea of using own cloud to manage this. Yeah, presumably you could. Would you firewall your your own cloud or something like that? To to know is that does that go against the grain with own cloud? I'm not sure. You're putting it out on a server that's know. visible outside. Would you would you firewall it so only the the tablet could see it, or a tablet in your phone and various other devices of, that you had? I don't know. Not sure how. I don't know be either. Best. It's been a while since I ran own cloud. I, I had it for a couple of years, but then when my uh, server went belly up, I didn't bother reinstalling it. Yeah, I'd, I'd be quite like to play around with that like this sort of idea myself. I haven't got. I've not tried own cloud yet, but I plan to. It's a very nice thing. I bet it's a lot better now than when I was running it. It sounds like it's got a lot more features now. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's a couple of comments on this one. The first one was from uh, Matt himself. Uh, he added on some photos that he not included in the original notes. But uh, Ken um, attached the photos to the notes after the event. So, uh, so the, uh, that was good. And oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, I, I just I watch out for these things. So if you do have additions to notes, then putting them in the comments is one solution. But if you tell us, then we can often stitch them into the uh, into the notes for you after the event. Prefer not to do it too often, but you know, I'm sure we can do it. Yeah. So then I had a comment just this morning. Uh, 
So thanks, I really enjoyed this episode. I actually do something similar with one of my Raspberry Pis, but I use Jezra's Mutton Chop audio server, and I have a link to that if anyone's interested in trying out Mutton Chop, and control the audio either from a phone, tablet, or laptop. Mutton Chop has a web interface, so you just need a browser on your device to control everything. And I hooked my Raspberry Pi into a 1972 Marantz receiver. Like you, I found that I needed to get a USB audio interface because the onboard audio on the Pi was terrible. I bought a dongle off Amazon for 8 or $10, I don't remember which, and it sounds great. And one of my favorite streaming stations comes from the very public radio station that he was talking about, uh, Capital Public Radio in Sacramento, and it's the Jazz Stream feed. And I, actually, that was broken for a while, but then this morning, because they changed the address of the feed, and but this morning I found it again, so uh, my Mutton Chop server now is streaming Jazz Stream again, and it's wonderful. That's really good. I I would really like to do something like that. And I was I'd not thought to use one of these USB audio devices. I was just um advising my daughter to get one. She had an accident with a laptop, snapped off the um the audio connector for her headphones in the in the socket, the jack snapped off. Oh dear. And you can't it's really hard to get out. We we tried all sorts of things. So the solution we reckoned was to get one of those USB dongles and um which have got a microphone and uh, an audio uh, a headphone mm-hmm. interface. That's what you're talking about, isn't it? And, yeah, uh, it's just a little bitty thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what she's going to do till we can. I'm not sure whether whether we can actually fix the, the laptop, but uh, you'd probably need to. No, they're great. It, Go on. Sorry. Um, if you're interested, I could send you a link to the one I bought. Uh, I I really don't think it was more than eight or ten dollars. And uh, once I found out how well it worked, I think I ordered two or three more of them uh, to put into the pie. And because sometimes my kids' laptops audio goes funny, and so we can fix it temporarily by just shoving one of these USB audio things in there. Yeah, it looks like a good thing to have around. Yeah, I'd love to get more info if you if you have it. Um, Definitely. I was I would probably use one with a Raspberry Pi as well, actually. The um the DAC board I've got from my is for my Pi Zero. I was going to try and make an MP3 player out of it, but uh, it's another one of these projects that I've not even started yet. But uh, that's gotcha. that's that's a special that's a thing designed specifically to f- plug onto the top of a, of a Raspberry Pi. Anyway. Okay. Okay. So last uh, last show of the month, automotive billing HPR twenty twenty, and I'll, I'll be honest, I've not heard this one yet. I caught this one today in fact just to, to make sure i listen to everything and it's um a piece of of um personal experience with fixing a, a friend's car um where the car has uh, got some interesting faults on it and he's describing the the problem in quite a lot of detail how he how he identified oh. it and uh, um and then what it was and uh, the sort of solution to it, where he was going for a, for a, the, the the best cost solution to it. Um, it's really fascinating. He he wasn't sure if this would be appropriate for HBR, but I would say it certainly is, and then do some more. As far as I'm concerned, no, I I can't wait to hear it. I'm I'm all about fixing cars lately. I, I just fixed my truck a couple of days ago. It was having a problem with the uh, like the battery connector. When I got a new battery. One of the battery posts was smaller than it had been on the previous battery, and so the uh, terminal on the battery wire, like, I could not get it tight enough. I would tighten it as far as it would go, and it would still wiggle around, and so you don't get a strong connection. The car sometimes won't even start, and then when it does start, it doesn't get enough uh, power. 
And so uh, for less than $5, I got a new terminal for the battery cable, put it on there, all fixed. So <laughs> I love fixing cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that in my time. I used to work for my uncle who had a had a garage. He was mainly in doing body work, but uh, I got taught how to do a fair number of things with, with car repairs and stuff. But that was in the 60s where cars were very different from what they are now, you know. And I was quite astonished with um, Brian's description of the inside of this is a Mitsubishi, I think he said. That's what I wrote down here anyway. Oh, boy. Um, and he's talking about it was it was the um, the inlet manifold, I think is what he said. Which Intake manifold? Intake manifold, yeah. Um, and so that's where your fuel mixture is coming into the, the four, four cylinders in this case. And I hadn't realized that uh, pretty much all cars are fuel injection now. And mm-hmm. so you haven't got the old carburetor type idea anymore you've got you've got far more complicated stuff with computers galore in the, so yeah more yep. of that would, <laughs> would be utterly fascinating no i'm looking forward to this i already have it on my phone uh, in my queue i just hadn't uh, gotten past my sports talk podcast yet to get to it <laughs> it'll probably be later today yeah good okay so that's everything as far as um last month's shows are concerned and traditionally we have a look at any comments that we haven't covered by going through the through the shows oh my gosh we've already spent an hour and 20 minutes talking about the show if see if ken were here he could have kept us on track a little bit better but as it is you and i are just chatting away i must admit we have got a bit more rambling uh ken and i in in recent uh, shows um so they have they've tended to be a bit longer than they should be but uh yeah. Okay. Any anybody who objects to that, go ahead and and record a show saying why it's a bad thing. And come on here and help us to to get through things quicker. <laughs> that too. So um, there were a few comments to shows from previous months. First of all was David Wilson who commented on 1987, which was the Pomodoro timer. First of the Pomodoro timer uh, shows from Nacho Jordi, and he said. Thanks. No, that was the... We'd already covered that one. Uh, David Wilson changed my life, he said. No, literally. I'd never heard of the Pomodoro technique before this show, and this is literally changing my life for the better. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'd like to try your (laughs) script, but where is it? Nice. So... Okay, and then HPR1990 had another comment. Let's see. Uh, He just says, found it. (laughs) He found the script. Is that it? That's absolutely it. Yes, he'd uh, he'd not he he'd not spotted that it was on the next episode of the the two part thing on the Pomodoro ah, thing. Okay. Got so, it. Uh, yeah. And then actually, Jordy did another show on the Rat Poison Window Manager in 1993, and uh, Sigflop commented on that one and said, "I love Rat Poison. Thank you for recording this." So that was very good. All right. There was a new comment on episode 1996. This is by Uragami. I've never heard of Dr. Bunsen before, nor his file naming convention, yet my hard drive and backup media are littered with files whose names look a lot like what he outlines. I usually just use mmddyy descriptive name.ext, only adding .hhmm. Um, so he's talking about a file naming convention that uses uh, date and time stamps? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've kind of lost the thread of what this episode was about and where he's going with this. But. 
I think it was just an aside, as Nacho Jordi was talking about various various applications he was dealing with, but he, he mentioned Dr. Bunsen's file naming convention. Not sure I could live with that, to be honest with you, but, uh, you know, each to his own. I'd much, use, so I'd much rather use find to, to find the files I need rather than have them named in, in a, an ordinary like that. But, uh, you know, it's whatever whatever suits you. You still there, John? You've, you've gone quiet. Oh, whoops. <laughs> I was pushing the wrong button again. <laughs> what a goof I am. Um, are we going to go through all of these? Uh, com- Man, there's a lot. No, no. But, that, uh, it's just it's just the ones for shows that are not in April. So the next one is the, our comment on the homebrewing episode 1998. And then there's just one okay. more after that. Um, mine? Uh, so we do you want to hear the one on the homebrewing? Let's see. Comment to Kim Fallon says, I'd love to hear the full recording. I would be of interest to hackers. <laughs> Ken, you need to get that script fixed. It's, uh, it's making spelling mistakes now. Uh, but, uh, We're going to know that it's not a human. <laughs> it's What he's talking about is... Um, uh, who's who's show with this? Mirror Shades um, say, was talking about his grandfather... And how his his accent was was interesting. They had a family recording of it, and he played a little bit of his grandfather speaking. And Ken oh, saying, that "Can we yeah. can we hear more, please?" Because it, it was I, I could hardly work out what he was saying, but I'm sure listening to more, I, I would get it. Yeah. So then there's actually a, a comment by me on a show that we mentioned, but we did not talk about. It was the community news. I have a comment because you guys were talking about the belts. Uh, my episode about changing the um, serpentine belt and who I don't remember who it was, but you're saying it must be the timing belt, but it's not. It, it's not the timing belt. <laughs> the no. timing belt is a different belt. Um, that was um, that the... yeah. That, I think it was Ken who said, "What belt is that? Is it the timing belt?" And I said, "Oh yeah, sure." So we're both as ignorant, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, the timing belt is a much bigger job that I wouldn't even consider tackling. Uh, it, it involves very precise, finicky adjustments that you have to use special equipment to do, or else you could really jack up your engine. <laughs> so uh, that's one that you pay the mechanics, and it costs. Last time I had one done, it cost a thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah, it's a uh, timing belt went on my son's car. They they were in New Zealand for three months, and they bought a bought a cheapo car there, and uh, mm-hmm. they were driving it around New Zealand, and, and the timing belt went. And it did it while they were driving along at high speed, and it completely destroyed the engine. Oh, my god! Very, gosh. very, very sad. Yeah, Maybe. well, I hope they were not injured. No, 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 no. It just uh, sort of jammed. It just seized seized the engine up, I guess. It's because it, it uh, yeah, everything okay. would have got out of sequence, so it just sort of smashed into the, uh, the, valve, the valves and stuff, the valve rods, etc., etc. Right. Enough. Um, the mail... Um, we normally go through the, the the mail discussions that have been going on. Um, I think we could maybe zoom through them very quickly. Are you in a hurry to, to get away, John? I, I wouldn't mind getting away at some point. To me, the most interesting, I mean, we have the, the call for shows. Thing. Uh, what was interesting to me was the accessibility pointer that Mike Ray started, uh, number three in the numbered list there. Uh, right. Um I always like his pointers on accessibility for HTML and CSS and whatnot. Yeah, he was talking about links in show notes, wasn't he? Right, yeah, and what to use for the link text as opposed to um, 
like I think the convention has always been on HPR to use the entire link as the link text, but he says don't do that. Yeah, I I'm not quite. I I came away from this conversation not fully understanding at the end of it what was the best because we've gone with this convention where we include both the uh, as you say the 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 URL is the text and is also the the link is the href in the in the a tag so we did that I think because it makes it more visible in rss feeds and is generally more visible in you know and i've got scripts that generate this so i thought it was it was okay and and i said that back in reply to to mike and he didn't he didn't come he didn't reply and say no dave you're wrong <laughs> well i thought his point was that it's it's like when you're listening to that with a screen reader like he does it's complete nonsense to hear it being read, and he'd rather hear a, a more human, uh, understandable, descriptive link text instead of uh, hearing an entire URL being read, uh, either character by character or whatever. Yeah, I think you're interpreting it better than I did. Yeah. So what what I tended what I tend to do if I embed a link in in the text in Markdown, I use the mechanism where you can the text bit of it is. It becomes the 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 link, right? You know, becomes the the text yeah. in the sentence becomes the link, and then I, then it uses yes. the Markdown reference to uh, to point to the actual thing. So if you hover over it, you get further information from the the reference, and then if you click on it, you get to the the link. Um, so mm -hmm. I mentioned that I used that, and he said, "Well, yeah, so do I." So I assumed that that was okay, but don't do that. <laughs> don't do the full blown thing. Just keep that for the links section of the. Of the show notes, perhaps. Ah, maybe, maybe so. I don't know, but it, I, I love uh, discussions about accessibility best practices. Uh, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's good that Mike comes up with with these these things because I think it's all too easy to uh, to 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 overlook them. I certainly do, unless I really stop myself to to think carefully about it. So thanks for that, Mike. Yep. So there wasn't. There was obviously the call for shows and lots of other things. I just made a few notes here about what had been going on. There was one point that NY Bill made in the early early part of the month, which was the in the form that you fill in to um, submit a show, explicit the question explicit yes or no is set by default to no to yes, and yes, he says it right. should be it should be no. And uh, I don't know if that if Ken has. Ken, I, I think, think Ken went, did weigh in on that. He didn't did. He? he said, "Use yeah." I wanted to use yes because it's better to default to um, something which is not going to get us thrown off iTunes than than otherwise. I think that was that was the sort of argument, wasn't it? I, I think so. He he wanted to like if somebody forgot to choose one or the other, and their show happened to have uh, I don't know curse words or something inappropriate in it, then it, by default it would be flagged appropriately. Yeah, I think so. And there's also that issue of what is offensive. I mean, it depends who's listening, doesn't it? And if yeah. we have a if we have a global audience, then things that are not offensive to to you and me are going to be offensive to somebody else. You know, it's it's a it's a very 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 thorny issue. So maybe that's why it's best to uh, have explicit be the default option. I always all my shows are marked explicit because they very 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 rarely are. But uh, but I'd sooner default to uh, to to a warning than not. I think my shows are only explicit if I'm having a conversation with Jezra. <laughs> 
I've heard those. I've heard those. Yes, yes. So um, in my notes here, there was the only other thing that, that stood out to me anyway was discussion about the whole series business. And um, the question was asked, could there be a series on cooking and recipes and stuff? To which the answer would be absolutely. Yes. Thank you absolutely, very much for yes. that. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, series said, on coffee would be all right too? Yeah. Well, I think we have one already. We have that already. Oh, is there? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And it was also about whether you whether it's okay to jump in on other people's series and contribute episodes. And I, th- I think in this community, most people are fine with that. Yeah. I think historically there have been epi- there are series where host X um, is doing a series on particular thing of relevance to them or, you know, it's maybe not as widely open or it's a time-related series, that then those are going to stay closed. But anything new that gets created, let's just make them open because, you know, it's why why not, really? Unless you have a really good yeah. reason not to, then, then I think you should. That's what I've been trying to do with mine anyway. Well, even the series, like Ahuka's wonderful series on LibreOffice, he uh, at least said that he didn't object when I threw in uh, a very short episode about a LibreOffice feature or a, a, a you know, a, a pro tip or something like that. And then I tagged it with the LibreOffice series. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I would never confuse my episode with one of his much more detailed instructional things, but um, I, I think it did belong in the series anyway. Yeah. Well, he, he did comment on this. He said, if the references to the LibreOffice series, my view is that all series I contribute to are open to anyone. This is a community and we build things as a community, which I think is a great comment. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's yep. very much the spirit of it. Yep. Okay. So are we I, done? I think, I think we should stop it there, John, because uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's about 40 mail messages in the last month, but I'm sure people can, can read them and, uh, we don't need to, to go through them other than to highlight things we've highlighted already. So let's it, call it, might it quits. Be worth, uh, yeah, it might be worth commenting. It seems like I remember one person responding to a digest thing. And isn't that one of those? Th- did you see that? Did, did somebody <laughs> replied to a digest comment? Yes, indeed. Yes, yes. I, yeah, I, so you were holding your tongue, I know. but <laughs> Yes. I, I I think I said all I need to say about this. Unfortunately, People don't quite remember. If you're receiving messages as a digest, and you think, oh, I need to say something about then to re- not to be able to reply to it because it's in a digest is a pain. So you should be trying to reply to the digest, but then editing it to make it look like part of the thread gets very, very complicated. I guess my question would be, yeah. why are you bothering with the digest? I mean, how many people really need to be taking the digest? Maybe, it, there's, maybe there's not a whole lot of traffic on this list. No, if if it was a massively busy list, you were getting a message every ten minutes. I could understand the digest, but but on this one, I don't understand why why it's switched on and why people have elected to to use it. To be perfectly frank, but you know, so maybe which, the solution is to uh, from the administrators and just get rid of the digest. I've looked and thought I could switch this off, but <laughs> but uh, I, you know I'm sure I, that would not be very popular. There so, would probably but, be some unintended consequences. <laughs> I imagine so. Yes, but it, the question should be asked really: what, why why uh, do you feel you need to do this, and do you not think it would be a good idea to to move back to the the ordinary list? So yeah. Well, what we can do is respond to that digest post asking this question. That might be a good idea. Yes, yes. 
Okay, um, I have right, two other done. two other issues. Oh, okay. Just two short things. One is that um, I did a there's a show in the queue, uh, 2036, which I did with Kevy from Tux Jam, mm-hmm. um, and it's about the upcoming Glasgow Pod Crawl, which is going to take place on the 29th of July, 6 p.m. in the State Bar in Glasgow. And because it's actually a fair bit out before it before it actually um, comes up into the feed, I thought I'd just mention it if it's something that might be of interest to you. Go and check out the show because you can go and read the text and follow the links if you if it's something you might be interested in. Hopefully, we're going to get a lot of people coming to this uh, this particular event this year. So um, the other thing was, and I already mentioned this, um, we had some uh, we had some tags and summaries sent in to be added to, to shows. Thanks very much. We haven't had many of these for a while. We did have a big block of them at one point from uh, from a guy called Colin. Um, this was Matthew, who's a new host, who's also in the queue a bit further on, and uh, he sent some in. So thanks very much for that, Matthew, just to Terrific. make a public public uh, <laughs> comment about that. So, All right, that's me. Very finished. good. I, I've got nothing else either. Okay. Well, thanks very much, John, for coming in and uh, and helping out. It's been good. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And we'll we'll not sing the um, the uh, join us now. And okay, we'll just. Not I, I'm going to confess, I don't know the lyrics to that song. <laughs> it seems no, me like, uh, yeah, I, I I've got no interest in learning that song. No, no, I've completely forgotten. I might have heard them before, but I can't remember them for the love no money. So so that's it. I think I think the only person I've ever heard sing that song is Ken. <laughs> you might have yes yes there's a rich guy called richard stallman who's been known to sing it but otherwise yeah, i mean uh, I, I know that he's done that but i've never heard it i might no. count myself lucky <laughs> yeah yeah yes okay thanks john and uh thanks to everybody and hope it wasn't right. too long i'm gonna stop recording now yeah You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.